All right, as Eric said, you've turned to 1 Corinthians 12 because uh, this is a section in Corinthians 12 through 14 that talks about the spiritual gifts. We've already been served this morning by people that are using their spiritual gifts. Uh, the three men that led us in singing this morning served us with their music and vocal gifting. Bobby, who's doing the sound, has served us so that we can hear the preaching of the Word and we can hear uh, the words that are being sung. Um, those of you that arrived early to set this room up so that we could be together is an act of service. That's a gift. Melissa greeted me this morning and made sure that I had my mic on and she got me water. It's administration and service. Bob, who greeted me and made sure I had a liturgy coming in, that's an act of service. So many more. So we've already been served with the gifts this morning and that's why we want to take a closer look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. title of this sermon is Spirit-filled people using their spiritual gifts. And we're going to read from the ESV, as, as was mentioned, English Standard Version, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. May God bless the preaching of His Word. So you and I, we live in a physical, material, traffic jam, scheduled, packed, fast-paced world, don't we? We daily feel the pressures of work, of raising a family, of providing for ourselves. On top of that, our cars break down, roofs on our homes need replaced, and if you're like me, the older that you get, you've got to go to the doctor a little bit more often. See, all of those serve as daily reminders that you and I, we live in this physical, material world. And I say that because we must be careful as Christians to not allow the demands of living in a physical, material world lull us into forgetting that we are spiritual people, people who have been filled with the Spirit. See, if, if, 
if as Christians we forget that we are spiritual people, we will live unaware of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Richard Lovelace, he says this, the failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread in the churches today. Even where Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made a deliberate point of getting to know Him personally. A normal relationship with the Holy Spirit should at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139, a, pr- a profound awareness that, that we are always face-to-face with God. That as we move through life in the presence of, his, of the Spirit, in this, uh, it is the Spirit that is the most powerful and real factor in our daily environment. That underneath the momentary static of events, conflicts, problems, and even excursions into sin, He, the Holy Spirit, is always there. So Christian, do you you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is always there? See, we can't allow the demands of living in a physical, material world to numb us to the reality that as Christians we are spiritual people. People who have been filled with the Spirit of God. Now, in opening this section of the letter to the Corinthians where he's going to talk about the spiritual gifts, that's exactly what he's doing. He's reminding the Corinthians that they are spiritual people. And he does that in verses 2 and 3 by, first of all, reminding them of who they were. Who were they? text says that they were pagans who were led astray by mute idols. But now they are people, as verse 3 says, that declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's clear from that verse that the only way that anyone can make that declaration is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore, I want you to understand, this is who you are now, that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See, this verse is really important. It's really important in understanding actually the rest of the text that we just read. It's important in a couple of ways. First, before narrowing the discussion to the spiritual gifts, Paul references the broad work of the Spirit there in verse 3. There's a number of ways that the Spirit works in our lives, and the one that he references there in verse 3 is this regenerating work of the Spirit that regenerates our hearts and convicts us of sin and makes us aware of our need for a Savior. And when we are born again, we are indwelt with, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught that in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. You know those verses. Those who are born of flesh are flesh, and those who are born of spirit are spirit. We are spiritual people. As, As we sang this morning, it's just a good reminder of who we were at one time. We were pagans, weren't we? We were led astray. And the only way that we could come from death to life 
is by the Spirit acting upon us. The greatest miracle we will ever know that regenerates us, convicts us of sin, and shows us our need for Christ. And in that moment, we are people who are filled with the Spirit because He dwells inside of us. Which leads to the second reason that this verse is important. We know from verse 3 that at our conversion, we are filled with the Spirit because it's only by the Spirit we can say Jesus is Lord. So it tells us of the presence of the Spirit in our life and it's a reminder that you and I have a daily need to be filled with the Spirit. It's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18 in present tense language, meaning ongoing, be filled with the Spirit. In fact, it's, it's written in the imperative mood, meaning it's a command that we have this daily need to be filled with the Spirit of God. See, Christians, you and I are spiritual people who daily need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can experience the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives. Let me ask you, do you desire that? Do you desire to know more of the presence and the power of the Spirit in your life? I believe you do. I believe all genuine Christians do and one of the ways that we experience the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives is we use our spiritual gifts those that use their spiritual gifts and 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 just the limited ways I just mentioned many more I could mention this morning they were they were using their gifts in the presence and power of the Spirit in other words it's one of the ways we're aware that God is with us just in the way that we have been served this morning So, Paul is wanting to address that. After reminding them that they are spiritual people, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts in verse 1. He's changing the topic here and addresses the spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14. And this is relevant for you as a church. It's because you are people who are not cessationists. You don't believe that the gifts have ceased. Rather, you are continuationist, meaning that you believe that the gifts are for today. Then they will continue to be used until Christ returns. So what Paul has to say is important to you as a church regarding spiritual gifts. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, very quickly, four characteristics of the spiritual gifts. And then we're just going to look at a couple of gifts. The gift of healing and the gift of prophecy. So here's the first characteristic. Gifts are given and empowered by God they're given and empowered by God so look at verses 4 through 6 again and then and then verse 11 now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone verse 11 all these are empowered by one in the same Spirit who apportions, who gives to each one individually as he wills. So gifts are given. They're empowered by the Spirit. But what is striking in these verses, especially in verses 4 through 6, if you noticed it, every member of the Trinity is mentioned. Every member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 5, and God the Father in verse 6. And before he references each member of the Trinity, did you note he uses that word varieties? He uses that word varieties. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of 
activities. So Paul is saying this. Paul is saying that God has given to each member of this church a a variety, a diversity of gifts. And those gifts, when you use them to serve others and to give God glory, all of that variety, when it's used together, it's rooted in the Trinity itself. It's kind of a massive theological truth there, isn't it? That actually you are reflecting the Trinity when you use your gifts. So each member of the Trinity we know is fully God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And being fully God, we also know that each member of the Trinity has a different function or role or service, however you might want to define that. So according to verse 11, God has given Each of you has given us gifts, and God empowers us to use those diverse gifts, those variety of gifts to serve others in a way that actually reflects the diversity of the function of the Trinity itself. See, that's a very important theological construct that Paul is giving in verses 4 through 6. Here's why. It's important because it tells us that gifts are not given primarily for us or to draw attention to us. Rather, gifts are given to serve others and to draw attention to and bring great glory to God because they reflect the Trinity itself. See, that, that's important because maybe you're like Jill and me. We, we came from a before we were in sovereign grace we came from a church who didn't believe in the gifts we came from a cessationist church to say it that way we had to wrestle through the whole the whole gift uh theology and whether we believe that or not and i guess i do because i'm preaching it here this morning um but if you've if you come from a a church that doesn't believe in the gifts and you add on top of that you've seen ways that the gifts are used wrongly in a way that draws attention to people and not God. This theological construct is very important to you. And it's important to you as a church and to our family of churches because that is an error we are trying to avoid. We want to use our gifts with an outward focus to serve others and with an upward desire to give God glory. That's why that theological construct is important. It also seems important here that in these 11 verses we are told twice so it's repeated that God empowers the gifts you see that in verse 6 and you see it in verse 11 so what that means is to use our spiritual gifts effectively we are dependent upon God and upon his power so what what are these spiritual gifts that God empowers How, how do you define the gifts I like this definition by Boyd Hunt spiritual gifts are God empowering His people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom, life, and service, enabling them in attitude and in action to live and minister in a manner worthy, or in a manner that glorifies Christ. So some, look, some gifts, they, they look more natural, like natural abilities. For, for example, in this chapter, you look at verse 28, they talk about the gift of helping or the gift of service, gift of administration I mentioned. Those can look natural. Some look a little bit more supernatural, like the gift of healing in verse 9 or the gift of prophecy we see here in verse 10. 
The point is this. Gifts as they are described and defined in the New Testament, they, they show us a diverse group of abilities and talents and gifts that God has given us to minister to others for kingdom life and service, right? In a way that brings much glory to Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm going to mention this, but this list here in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll mention this again, is not a comprehensive list of all the gifts. It's a representative gifts, a list of gifts that he wanted to address in Corinth. So this is not all the gifts. In other words, you study all the New Testament, it's much broader in nature in terms of the definition of spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts are given and empowered by God so that each of us, each of you, can participate in kingdom life and service and in gospel mission. Okay, second characteristic, number two, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. They're manifestations. One of the ways that God manifests His presence among us. We know that because that's very clear in verse 7. To each is given. That means every one of you, to each is given, what? The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, God can manifest His presence in many ways. We read His Word. He can manifest His presence. But another way that He manifests His presence is through the spiritual gifts, where we actually experience the presence of God, which is an amazing thing, right? When we use our gifts to serve one another. Max Turner says this, the thread running through the whole discussion in chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, is that the phenomena Paul lists are regarded as events in which the Spirit is made manifest. That is, the Spirit's activity coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression. They are workings of God in which the presence and activity of divine power is judged to be a matter of immediate perception. That can happen when we use our gifts. See, see you got to remember this. God loves to fill ordinary people like you and me with His Spirit and empower our gifts so that we can minister to others. And when we do so, regardless of what kind of gifts you have, we are aware that God is among us. That He is with us. And so if, if you desire more of the Spirit's presence and the, more of the Spirit's power in your life, pray for that and then use your gifts to serve others because it's either in the, in the use of your gifts or the reception of someone else's gift that you will experience the power and presence of God. Let me just illustrate this from, uh, I think this happened about a year or two ago. I can't really remember because I'm old. But um, uh, every, I'll, I'll, I'll mention this again, at Covenant Fellowship Church, where I'm a pastor, which is in a western suburb of Philadelphia, uh, every fourth Sunday, uh, after the service is over, we invite people up just for prayer for healing. And um, this particular Sunday uh, was a fourth Sunday, and there was a group of people in our church that, that group has been grown, a small group of people that gather maybe 20 minutes before the service, and they just pray for the service. And while they were praying, one of the, the ladies in that group, her name is Karen, had this 
impression, I would say it's a prophetic impression, that there were going to be people coming today that had just GI issues that were long-standing, some even with diverticulitis, and that we were supposed to pray for them. So she shared that with one of the pastors, and uh, the pastor that closed the service, I think it was Andy Farmer that morning, the pastor I served with, he, he just mentioned that. We, uh, the, the service is closing. If you'd like prayer for healing, come forward. And just, just there may be some here. We, people were praying before the service. Some here that have just GI issues that just aren't going away. Maybe you have diverticulitis. We're, we believe we're supposed to pray for you today. So I'm up front, and I'm, I'm praying. And this woman comes up I had never met before, and she said, hi, my name, I forget her name, my name is so-and-so. She said, I only come here every so often because I'm a member of another church. And I came here with the bards. You'll know who the, the bards are. And uh, I sat in my seat. And when, when they just said there was going to be prayer for healing, she goes, I'm not going to go up. But when I heard that you were going to pray for people with GI problems and for those with diverticulitis, I had to come. And now I'm standing up here, and the bards are looking at me, I know, because I come from a church that doesn't believe in the gifts. And I, I'm only here because I couldn't deny what I heard. And I have this long-standing diverticulitis, and would you, would you pray for me? I prayed for her. I, I don't know whether she was healed or not. But what I do know is this. She experienced God's presence, didn't she? She experienced in a very personal way. So much so it got her up out of her seat and she came forward. She said, I had to come up here and ask for prayer. See, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. And when you use them, when we use them together, we know that God is among us. Okay, third characteristic, number three. And this one's pretty short and pretty clear. Gifts are for the common good. I'm just using the language in the text right there in verse 7. You saw it. Gifts are given for the common good. They are given to serve others. They are given to build up and to strengthen the church. So one of the ways that you strengthen the church, one of the ways you build up the church is to use your gifts. All the gifts that are listed in the New Testament, that's found in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, all of them are for the common good, for the good of building up Jesus Christ's church. Again, that's an important point because gifts are not given to draw attention to us. They're not, they're not given so that can be about us, but they are given so that we can serve others and draw great attention to Jesus. All right, one more Max Turner quote. This is what he says. The gift of the Spirit to believers affords the whole experiential dimension of the Christian life, which is essentially charismatic in nature. These charismata, that's the Greek word for gifts, these gifts, these charismata operate at individual and corporate levels, enabling a life-giving so when you use your gifts, you give life, joyful understanding of and ability to apply the gospel, impelling and enabling different services to others in the church, and driving and empowering the mission to proclaim the good news. See, our mission, your mission, to get our mission together and your mission 
it, it really is dependent upon the, the presence and power of the Spirit and us using our gifts. Okay, fourth and last characteristic. Gifts must stay connected to the gospel. Gifts must stay connected to the gospel. You, you probably know this. Um, I, I think one of the heirs in the sort of charismatic world, if you can say it that way, maybe Pentecostal world, is, is to unintentionally separate the gifts from the gospel. In other words, in that world, you can, there can be an overemphasis upon the gifts, and in so doing, at least functionally, the gifts more move into the center, and the gospel moves into the periphery. And, and the gifts aren't intended to do that. The gifts are never separated from the gospel in Scripture. Scripture never does that. See, we can put a disproportionate emphasis on the gifts and in so doing separate it from the gospel and that is an error we're trying to avoid that you're trying to avoid as a local church let let me just illustrate that from scripture just the way that this letter is written tells us that so paul begins very early in this letter to say in first corinthians 2 verse 2 i decided to know nothing among you except what Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? And that threads through the rest of the letter. And he because he, he's going to address a number of issues. He's going to address disunity in the church. He's going to, uh, to address sexual immorality, uh, offers to idol, idol worship. He's going to address lawsuit among believers. He's going to address the spiritual gifts. As he addresses each of those topics, what is the one thing that he knows? It is Christ and him crucified. And then he begins to wrap up this letter in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, saying something like, I delivered to you that of which is of first importance. What's of first importance? Does he say the gifts? No. What does he say? He says that Christ died for our sins. He goes on to talk about his resurrection three days later, his appearing, and then his ascension. So he, he begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ and Him crucified threads through all of the issues He's talking about, including the gifts. He ends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sandwiched in that, all in between of that, is chapters 12 through 14 that talk about the spiritual gifts. Just the structure of the letter shows us that the gifts are given to help further the work of the gospel, to encourage the work of the gospel in our lives. See, For the believer, when gifts are used, and we were edified today by singing, gifts being used. We were edified today as Christy shared what she believed the Holy Spirit brought to mind to her. We were built up in a way that encourages, that strengthens the work of the gospel in our lives. And by the way, um, there are times when God even uses the gift of prophecy to proclaim the gospel. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25, you you know those verses that an unbeliever is among you and they hear this prophetic word that speaks to them as, as the text says, the secrets of their heart are revealed. They know that God is speaking to them and they at least bow their knee and acknowledge that God is among them. It's another illustration of how we must keep the gifts connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, that's, that's the four, char- four characteristics. Let's just take a look at a couple of the gifts. Again, as I mentioned, uh, this is not an exhaustive list here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, a representative list, and we see the gift of healing in verse 9. Um, let's be very clear about this gift. People who have the gift of healing do not heal. People do not heal. God heals, right? you got to get that right. And he seems to use those who have the gift of healing in a way that when they pray for others, they are healed at times. Not every time, at times. They are used to, by God, for healing. So as I mentioned, one of the ways we try to practice or use this gift at our church and this is just a practice you don't have to do this here in orange it's just the way we've decided to do it at covenant fellowship is the fourth sunday of every month we invite people to come up and pray for healing and there was a woman uh, who has been in our church a long time lolly good friend of jill's who came up one morning uh with her husband actually uh, who isn't a believer and so it was so good for him to be there that morning as we prayed for her and she had had a, uh, a blood disease, a blood disorder for about 12 years or so, I believe, if I remember right. And um, so it's on medication, couldn't find, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so we just prayed a simple prayer, just prayed in Jesus' name that God would heal her, that God would restore her blood chemistry. It's a very simple prayer, it wasn't emotional, it wasn't dramatic, it's just a, a simple prayer asking that she would be healed. She went to the doctor a a few weeks later, and her blood numbers were normal. And the doctor was surprised. Lolly wasn't quite surprised, but the doctor was. And he goes, I I don't think I, I understand. She goes, I think I do. And just left it at that because she wanted to wait a bit longer. So she had to go every three months to get blood drawn to check her numbers. So she went back three months later, and it was normal. He's like, I don't understand. Took her off medication. I don't understand. So she told him about being prayed at church and had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. She experienced God's presence. She experienced God's care in a very personal way. And it certainly strengthened the work of the gospel, not only in her life, but in her unbelieving husband's life. Wonderful, isn't it? Okay, let's take a look at the gift of prophecy. Um, Actually, turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, The gift of prophecy is listed in 1 Corinthians 12. It's also listed in Romans 12, verse 6, and here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Let's read the first five verses. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
So we see this, actually chapter 14 here is sort of the longest treatment in the New Testament on the gifts of prophecy and tongues being used in the New Testament church. So what, what is the gift of prophecy? What is it? Here's the short definition we use at our church. You don't have to adopt this definition, but it's the one that we use. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, you've got to be very careful with that word revelation. We don't mean by revelation that something is being added to the canon of Scripture. So we heard, I think, what was a prophetic impression uh, from Christy this morning. We, we had prophetic ministry at the retreat this week. All those words that I heard, I'm not going to find in my Bible tomorrow morning. And you won't either. We're not adding to the canon of Scripture. You might be wondering, well, if the, if the, why, that seems a little risky to use that word revelation. Why do you use that word in your definition? It's because the word Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 14. Go to verse 26. So what then, brothers, when you come together? So we've been together this morning as a church. One has a hymn. Dustin led us in singing. A lesson. I'm trying to do that now. A revelation. There it is. A tongue or an interpretation. And then it says, let all things be done for building up. Now look at verse 30. If a revelation, there's that word revelation, is, is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. So he's not only bringing order to the service, what is he doing? He connects that word revelation to the gift of prophecy. Word revelation, verse 30, prophecy in verse 31. So that's why we use the word revelation in our definition. And then Wayne Grudem, he makes this wonderful observation. If you study the New Testament, the word revelation is actually used 44 different times in the Greek. And it always means divine inspiration. It never means human inspiration. So uh, a prophecy is a human report of what you believe the Holy Spirit brought to mind. That's what Christy did this morning. She's reporting what she believed the Spirit gave her as she read Scripture. Now, okay, we got the definition. We can quickly move on and we can miss something. Our God actually desires to speak to us today. He desires to speak to us. Now, you got to get this right when you talk about the gifts. The primary way that God speaks to us is through His Word. That's the primary way. That's the way we will hear Him most. And most of the time is through the reading of Scripture. Hearing the reading of Scripture. But at times, at times, the gift of prophecy, even though it is imperfect, is used to make us aware that God is with us and may even speak to us in some very personal ways. Which kind of gets at, what's the purpose of prophecy? The purpose of prophecy is that of edification. You see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So God gives the New Testament gift of prophecy to His New Testament church, to Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, to build you up, to encourage you. At times when you need console to console you. One of the things that always affects me is affecting me again this morning as I was preparing. If you read all of 1 Corinthians 14, I would encourage you to do this at some point. Read all of 
1 Corinthians 14 and note the repetitive language that's there. Six times this build-up language is used. You see it in verse 3, 4, 5, 12, 17, and 26. And knowing that God inspires the writing of Scripture, that this is God actually speaking to us, that's very intentional. God is telling you, He's telling me, He's telling us six times that I want to build you up. That I don't desire to tear you down. But I desire to build you up and encourage you as the Spirit works, manifests His presence. At times, He does that in building us up through the gift of New Testament prophecy. I think God does that intentionally. Because many of us, I don't think all of us, but many of us have what John Owen called hard thoughts about God. We can be prone to have these hard thoughts about God. Maybe you arrived here just discouraged from a difficult week. And you can just think, boy, God must be disappointed in me. Maybe I did something wrong. God seems distant from me. Or maybe you arrive here this morning just thinking, man, I, I just sinned a lot this week. And you bring a sense of shame with you to the Sunday service. Or maybe just think, I just didn't get all my, my time with God that I wanted. He's distant from me. Those are hard thoughts. Those are wrong thoughts about God. Because God, it says, desires to build you up. To encourage you. And to console you. And one of the ways that He does that is as the Spirit moves, a prophetic word is shared and it is intended to edify. In a way that at times can be very personal and very caring and very loving on the part of God. Like you, we, we have a mic up front, and most, or a lot of Sundays, we have prophetic words shared. I just want to tell you a story of a, of a recent one um, that a woman by the name of Ramona uh, in our church who has the gift of prophecy sent me after a Sunday service. This particular morning, we gathered as pastors to pray before the service and just had a sense we were to pray for people who were feeling like a failure. And um, so at one point during the singing, we stopped. One of the pastors got up and um, just shared that, asked if it applied to anybody. And they, you know, several folks laid their hands. And Ramona had a word that morning for that group. Now, she didn't know we were going to pray for that group. She just said, the Lord gave me this impression before I came to church. I didn't know we were going to pray for the group. And this is what she, she said. I shared a word for that group that the Lord had put on my heart during early early morning prayer. I had a picture of someone trying to ride a unicycle. Now let me stop there for just a moment. I don't think I would have brought a prophetic word up with this. I see this person trying to ride a, a unicycle? A unicycle. That takes a lot of faith to bring that up. You might think, that's a wacky word. I'm not going to stand up there and say that, right? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. But Ramona did, and that's what she shared. I had a picture of someone trying to ride a unicycle, but it was hard and challenging, so much so that no matter how they tried, they could only make it go backwards. My word was about condemnation out of the first few verses of Romans 8, specifically reminding folks that the Lord had fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law 
that they stand, not under wrath, but under grace, and calling folks not to let their eyes be downcast in their failures and condemnation, but to lift their eyes to God, the God of hope, who by His Word and truth at work in them and by the power of the Spirit would complete His good purposes in their lives. That was her word. She got a call that afternoon from a lady in the church, and she said to Ramona, she said, uh, your word really helped me. She said, I'm, I'm dating a guy right now who rides a unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> can't make that up, right? You can't make that up. And the day before, they were having a conversation about her failures that she was just pouring out her heart to him about and feeling like a failure. She was condemned. And so she goes on to say, not only that picture that you shared, the way that you reminded me that I'm not, uh, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. It just had this wonderful effect on my life. It, it lifted a burden from me. That is an amazing story. Because the God of the universe chose to give Ramona that picture and that word for that particular lady. And that's personal care from our loving God. He desires to build us up. Okay, a couple of limitations related to prophecy. I think we all have to be aware of it, especially if you have that gift. The gift of prophecy is affected by our finite and fallen humanness. So our ability to give and receive prophetic words is, is limited and imperfect. That's why I like 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9. So glad it's in my Bible, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's a recognition of that. So our ability to, to give and receive prophetic words is limited. And you've got to get the contrast right here. All of the prophecies found in Scripture are infallible. Any prophetic words to share today are fallible. They're not going to be in the canon of Scripture. And what that means is that mistakes can be made. Mistakes can be made. Now, anytime I'm leading a time of ministry where we might have prophetic words shared or on a Sunday morning, we don't pray for mistakes. You don't want mistakes to happen, but they can happen. And I can tell you about a number that I've made in using my gift of prophecy. Uh, let me just tell you one story. Uh, we had gathered our staff at Covenant Fellowship, about 15 folks, uh, in early December a couple years ago. And our senior pastor, Jared Mellinger, was praying for them. And um, I just had this prophetic impression that I shared with him, that I shared with the group, and I just said, I think there's some here, you have some fear and trepidation going into the holidays because you're going to be with an extended family member for which there is just tension in the relationship, and you just don't want to, you just don't want to go. And that God was going to give you help and faith for that event over the holidays. And so I shared that with the, the folks in that group, and I asked, does, does that apply to anybody? And they all did what you're doing right now. They just stared at me. <laughs> and so, of course, in my pride, I had to ask, are you sure that nobody? And, of course, nobody raised their hand. And then I said this. I said, you should know I make mistakes at times. Uh, it was later that afternoon, knock on my door. One of the staff members, she pokes her head in. She said, I so appreciate you saying that you make mistakes at times because it helps me to trust you and the other pastors. You're willing to admit that. So the best way, if you have the gift of prophecy, the best way for you to grow in that gift is, is to use it. And if you make a mistake, use it as an opportunity to cultivate humility in your, in your life, 
Be open about it, and it will engender trust with others. So, um, just an implication because of all this. Any prophetic ministry you receive, prophetic words you receive, they need to be measured by Scripture. They need to be taken to God in prayer, to counsel of others. You don't want anyone making life-changing decisions because of a prophetic word. We're just not for that. That's not the way it's supposed to function. Which leads to the next limitation. The gift of prophecy has no authority in your life. No authority. One authority in our lives. And that is the Word of God. And that's why prophetic words must be measured in light of Scripture. And that's because, and because of those two limitations, it's clear from Scripture that this particular gift, it needs governance. You see it in verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. So who are the others there in verse 29? Well, in one sense, it's everyone here. You are the others. Any prophetic word you hear, you've got to weigh it. You've got to discern it. Does, is it in keeping with Scripture, for example? And it's why uh, one of the pastors is up here like Mike is this morning. Here's a prophetic word before he allows something to be shared. Because the others are also the elders who are responsible for an orderly worship service. They want to make sure that what's shared is honoring to Scripture and will have the purpose of edification. All right, let me just close with this. Gifts are given to each and every one of you. They're given by God and empowered by God to serve others, serve this church, and to encourage the work of the gospel. And when they're used biblically and in humility, they give God, the giver of the gifts, much glory. I'm just going to end with... Um, because I, I had this prophetic impression this morning and was trying to decide where to share it, if at all. But I, as I was praying, as we were singing, I'm going to share it now and then we're just going to pray. And the impression I had is that there may be some here who um, are having trouble of letting go of something in your life that you know God is calling you to let go of. It may be an unhealthy relationship. It may be a habit or an addiction. It may be uh, a manner of living that you know God wants you to stop and you're having trouble letting go of it. Whatever it is, you're having trouble letting go of it. And I just believe the Lord brought you here today to encourage you that you'll never be able to let go of it in your own strength. You need His help. Most importantly, you need to trust Him. In faith because the part of the reason you're having trouble letting go is you don't know what it'll look like once you let go of it what will life look like can you get by without it whatever it might be and I had this verse that I believe the Spirit gave me from Isaiah 12 verse 2 behold God is my salvation I will trust and will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. And I just believe the Lord wants you to know that if you've trusted Him with your salvation, with, with eternity, then you can certainly trust Him to let go and not be afraid of this thing that you're having trouble letting go of. So let me, let me just pray for, if that applies to you in some ways, I just want to pray for you.
Lord, I just pray for any here that that might apply to those that are having trouble of letting go of something they know you want them to let go of. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. I pray that you would give them power and strength to let go. But mostly I pray that you would give them faith in you, to trust you in the letting go of this so that life is different for them in a good way. Know that in the letting go, help them to know that in the letting go, you're actually going to build them up and encourage them. May you do all of that by the power of the Spirit and for your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.